Thank you, Brother Odenbush, and praise the Lord, everybody. It's wonderful to be in this meeting again this morning, and I hope the Lord will give us a good time. Before I uh, go into the subject that's announced, there's just a little bit I want to go back to yesterday's lesson, because there's a couple items that I've failed to mention, I feel that they are important enough that they should be mentioned before we go any further. Uh, you know there's uh, a lot to be learned from the people that we go to work with, whether they are uh, sophisticated people or whether they are poorer people, a lot we have to learn uh, and a lot we have to unlearn and a lot of things that we uh, thought we would be able to do when we reach the field, perhaps we will not be able to do them. Uh, when I first went to Liberia, I came out of a, a barracan uh, uh, climate, and I was very, very pale, of course, and it wasn't a few weeks in that Liberian sun until I began to get very, very dark, very tan. And the Liberians, they have uh, a term for people who are lighter complected, the ones that are real dark, they could say that black man, that woman, that black woman there. But the ones that are fair complected, they are called bright. So one of the Liberians was heard to say, Brother Blake, he's not as bright as he was when he came. <laughs> More than one way to take that. And I took it both ways. Uh, When I, when I reach the field, of course, you, uh, you feel a call and you feel the need and you feel pressed for time. You see time running out from the time you get off the plane and you want to accomplish something. You want to do something for the Lord. And uh, naturally, as Americans, is that from this thing? Yes. I see. Maybe that'd be all right. Uh, naturally, we're impatient to get a lot of things done. Now what's it rubbing against? Hmm. We want to uh, uh, get a lot of things done. And uh, you know, Americans, one thing that uh, uh, you do not do in America is waste somebody's time. Isn't this true? You don't appreciate anybody wasting your time. Uh, when I, when I first went to uh, Liberia, I was, this guy, uh, I, was, I was very impatient. I wanted to get a lot of things done and so forth. So one day, one of the young men who was on the mission, a student in the Bible school, and also uh, we hired him as a houseboy. He runs some errands, a fine boy. He came to my wife and he said, Mother, Brother Blake, he talks before he says hello. was good advice. He talks before he says hello. So my wife told me about that and it dawned on me. I had done that. I'd walk across the mission. I would see something that needed to be done. I would see some uh, student who wasn't uh, seemingly occupied and, uh, Parker, will you do uh, this? Uh, uh, James, go do such and such. Instead of, uh, hello, how are you? How are you coming on? School all right? How are you keeping? 
It's important. And uh, there it is important, here it is important not to waste time for anybody. Uh, one time we were traveling in, uh, from Liberia into Sierra Leone. And uh, I wasn't sure which way to go. So we stopped at the side of the road and here was a man in that heat and he was changing his tire and uh, he was working so and uh, he seemed to be a little bit rushed. So I pulled in there, I rolled down the window and I said, uh, am I on the right road to Kenema? Just like that. He got up from the place where he's working on the tire and he stood there and he cleaned his hands and he said, uh, how do you do today? And actually he was, he was right, uh, brisk with me. In other words, what do you mean just coming in here and saying, is this the way to Kenema? Don't you know you should ask me how I am and uh, at least be civilized? And he looked at me like I was some country bumpkin, you know, who just didn't have good manners at all. Uh, I had forgotten myself. I felt reproved because I had violated one of the rules of uh, life in, in Africa, that uh, you do not come directly to the point and nobody is going to hurry you, so you must not hurry somebody else. And remember, on the field, we've got the whole term, so do it right, adjust to their way of doing that. Uh, another thing I want to mention is the matter of music. The, uh, and again, I'm only speaking as though all of you are going to Liberia. And I know you're not, but that's all I know about. So I can only talk of, of life there. But uh, the African music, especially the, the music that we were listening to, you wouldn't consider this good music. We wouldn't consider it beautiful music. It's, it's not melodious. They don't have the same uh, sounds, the same rhythms that we have here. In fact, Brother Sisson came to visit us, and he wanted to have a uh, movie of a Liberian choir. So I said, well, there's only one in this case, that's the crew choir, because this is the strangest of all. So we arranged a service among the crew people, and I just called the choir together to sing. So we went over to this little church, and the choir began to sing and began to dance and to uh, go like this, and they're making this strange, strange sound. Sister Sism says it sounds like a uh, tape recorder playing backwards. It is not melodious, it's not beautiful to us but neither is our music melodious or beautiful to them. But uh, Brother Sism is on the platform with his uh, uh, movie equipment and uh, he's finger on the trigger, he's ready to shoot and he, I noticed him, he puts the, uh, up to his eye and he puts it down, puts it up to his eye, puts it down, up to his eye and finally he leans over to me, he says, now when they start to sing, you let me know, I don't want to. I said, Brother Sism, this is it. Oh, I didn't know. And he wouldn't have known. <laughs> it was some kind of a strange sound, but it wouldn't be classed as music as we understand it. You can imagine translating, I have left the land of Egypt for the land of Canaan. They would wonder, oh, when were you in Egypt? 
see what I mean? And uh, sometimes you think it would be so nice to sing a beautiful worshipful chorus like we have just sung. And uh, it would be nice here, but it just doesn't mean that much there. So uh, prepare yourself for, for music that will not be musical to you. All right, now heading the National Church. According to consider organizing, administering, and mobilizing the foreign church. <clears throat> organizing, administering, and mobilizing the foreign church. Now, it fell my lot when I went to Liberia, though the Liberian work is an old work, many years, to uh, do a lot of work along the line of organizing and administering the work in Liberia for the simple reason that uh, up to this time there had not been any particular need for any kind of a defined or in any way rigid organization or administering of the work. Let me give you just a little history of the work in Liberia. The first Jesus name Pentecostal witness uh, came to Liberia through a black American by the name of Holmes, Aaron Holmes. Aaron Holmes was a sharecropper in the state of Florida and being black the Liberian government would give property to blacks from any place in the world who would come and settle in the hinterland of Liberia. This was back 1920s. So uh, Aaron J. Holmes was attracted, thought of having his own farm so he left uh, America, immigrated to Liberia to take up Liberian citizenship and he opened his farm in a place called Zardi. The uh, uh, Brother Holmes did not go as a Pentecostal man, he was a Methodist. As I understand the history of it, his wife, his American wife died and he fell in love with a native girl, a Gola girl by tribe and uh, she is known as Mother Holmes. He married her and she was Pentecostal. Now here is a blank spot in my knowledge of the history of this. I don't know how it is that they brought the message first, but she was Pentecostal when she met him. There's something there I can't see. But uh, she was Pentecostal and she soon converted Aaron J. Holmes to Pentecost, though she herself was Liberian. And the farm that they were given uh, was not opened as a mission at first. But Brother Holmes, he was an educated man, and he saw the need of the people there to learn to read and write, so he began to conduct a school. And from the school came the uh, uh, Pentecostal witness on the continent of Africa in Liberia at Zordi Mission. After Brother and Sister Holmes died, the mission there was closed. And only about three years ago was the mission reopened. Now, I, want, I say closed, but I don't mean that the Christian work in this area was closed. Because in all of those intervening years, the Christians who were just small children, when they were in Brother and Sister Holmes' mission school and church, since have grown into manhood, and during all of those years, without a missionary or a pastor, they met every day in this town for prayer and for singing 
and the best they could to serve the Lord. And they are the only Christians of any kind or description in this town. And the mission has been reopened. Many of the people there are by the name Holmes. They have adopted the name Holmes as their name, the Justice of the Peace, the Judge, the Lawyer, uh, the, the uh, Territorial Supervisor. All of these people are Holmes. And though some of them may not be living close to God today, they still consider themselves Pentecostal in their upbring uh, upbringing and background. Now, what I'm saying is while the work began way back there, actually the mission work is not continuous from there except some of the believers, you understand what I mean? Some of the believers who remained in this village. Then Bami Hill Mission, Fossima Mission was opened uh, by Sister Pauline Groose. Most of these missions were opened in areas where there was no Christian background. In Fossima Mission to this day, you will either ha you will have three religions if you're in this chiefdom. You can be uh, an animus, you can worship sticks and stones and pray to uh, catfish and baboons and things like this. You can be a Muslim and pray to the dead prophet Muhammad or you are United Pentecostal. That's all. No Methodist, no Baptist, no denominations. You're one of those three where this mission that Mother Groose opened so many years ago in Liberia. All right, when you're going into an area like that, you have to start somehow. So they opened a school and to children who wanted to better themselves came on the mission compound, were educated, come to know the, the Lord and know his word and grew up into adult Christians. Well, this is a very slow missionary work because it's a much farther step, isn't it? From worshiping snails and praying to banana trees to being Jesus named Pentecostal than it is to go from the Assemblies of God into the UPC. It's a much further step. And so it has only been in recent years in Liberia that we have had an adult membership and an adult ministry to the place where we needed to be organized as a district. You see what I mean? Because before this, it was uh, young people that were growing up, and now some of these have made very outstanding people and are a real credit to the, to the work and to the ministry of every missionary who has ever served the Lord there. There is, uh, when we talk about heading a national church, we're talking about something that will be very different from field to field. For instance, here are two neighboring countries, Liberia and Ghana. The Liberian work is not organized to the degree the Ghanaian work is organized. For this reason, Liberia as a country was never colonialized by a European power. As a result, there are very few roads in the country of Liberia. It is developing, but it is many, many years behind much of West Africa. There are roads in Ghana. There is a good mail system in Ghana and other things and uh, convenience of travel that makes it possible, you see, to have a unified uh, financial system that makes it possible to have regular church board meetings where people have roads and can travel easily and uh, where it is a monetary uh, economy throughout the country, uh, then you can have 
uh, organized to, uh, in a firmer way. But for instance, in Liberia, uh, it would cost more to call a board meeting than you could possibly raise in money to have it. And so it is not possible to have regular board meetings because uh, one of our national board members would have to walk four days to reach the nearest road and from there hours to come to the city of Monrovia on dirt roads. How often can you have a national board meeting under, under circumstances like that? The city of Monrovia, the people buy their food and uh, 60, 70 dollars is a good uh, wage there they can manage for a family. That's a monetary economy in the city of Monrovia. You go just a few miles outside of the city and uh, the, the pastors uh, scratch the ground for rice and uh, $70 a year would be an abundance of money. So how can you have a unified budget and monetary system in a district like that? It is impossible. So things will be different from field to field and even within the field. I thought perhaps I would arrange a correspondence Bible school when I went to Liberia. Here we are in a country the size of the state of Tennessee with approximately 50 churches and every pastor in that whole district who gets any mail gets it through my post office box. You tell me how you're going to have a correspondence Bible school. So, the development of the country will largely determine to what degree you can organize the work. But countries are developing, and so there must be a starting place. So let's consider first the starting place. I would say the first place to start is a scriptural base. A scriptural base. Another thing, look at the secular government of the people. How the people govern themselves in their own culture. Then having determined the scriptural basis for uh, church cooperation and church organization, using the methods of Paul, the qualification of ministers, the office of ministers and deacons and so forth, then consider how the people structure themselves according with their chiefs and their elders, their councils and so forth. You cannot actually impose an American system of democracy on a people who do not have this in their background. This is very confusing to them. And so I would say first consider uh, just a, a, a rough outline the scriptural base, because you want to be scriptural, of course, we do, we must be. And then also consider how they govern themselves and try to bring the two together as closely as possible so the people will not be uh, confused by the imposition of American system. Then there will be the matter of writing of a constitution. Trusted men, uh, if you do not have a constitution, uh, trusted men uh, there who understand their own people, nationals, will help you with this. 
We did go through this matter of writing a constitution in Liberia, and let me tell you, that's not an easy thing to do. You must consider the method of election, methods of appointment, and methods to qualify ministers and workers, and also methods to discipline ministers and workers. <clears throat> All right, let me just share with you some experiences that uh, I had along this line. It may be helpful to you. One thing, we wanted to have a lady's work. Somehow, some of the Liberians learned about the wonderful work of the ladies' auxiliary in America. So they began to tell us that they wanted to have a ladies' auxiliary work. So I said, fine, I think we should help the Christian ladies. Uh, in our Liberian churches, we have an abundance of men and boys, but few women and girls. One of the most crucial problems we have in Liberia is to find wives who are suitable wives for our young ministers and gospel workers. It is a serious problem. There's a little bit of a cultural explanation for that. Muslims do not believe the same thing. There are sects and divisions among the Muslims like there are among Christianity. It's not possible to say, well, what do Muslims believe? And then you give a fundamental doctrine and say, this is what Muslims believe. But I'm talking about the African Muslim influence in our particular area. The men feel like the mosque, the church is for men. If women are accepted to the, to the Prophet Muhammad and to Allah, it is because the man will gain acceptance for them. Just believe that it is all for the man and the wife or wives they may have as many as four uh, they go in on the merits of the man this is their belief naturally people coming from this background it's difficult for them to realize that in Christ there is neither male nor female they do not understand this so we had a real problem with the ladies and especially young ladies to be suitable-wise for the young men and gospel workers. Many of our churches are filled with men and young men, with very, very few women and girls. I thank God that this situation is beginning to change in Liberia. It's a wonderful blessing. Let me tell you a little bit of how it came about. Some of them came and said they wanted to have a ladies' work. All right, uh, I said, you need it. So what do you want the ladies to do? Well, what do the ladies do in the United States? I said, well, the ladies, I said, they sell bread. I couldn't say bake sale. I said, they sell bread and they raise funds and they make market and they do this to raise money. Oh, no, no, we don't want that. Actually, what the ladies did here was totally unacceptable there. And of course, if you were trying to feed your family on bake sales here, you might not appreciate church bake sales, but that's, that's, see, that's beyond. But there the women make market to survive. They sell bread in the market to survive. And uh, when the church begins to, to compete with their own living, well, no, no, they couldn't have that. And uh, so 
my wife really tried, but it, it lost all interest and the people backed away from it. It looked like a total failure. But it's amazing how sometimes that you can throw out a suggestion from your background. It is totally unaccepted there. Don't press it, let it rest. You will have dropped a seed and a train of thought in their minds and they will be able to kind of clothe it with their own background and develop something. And this is exactly what happened with the ladies' work. One day we had a fellowship meeting and here are these ministers. And I looked back in the congregation and I saw every last one of them had his wife. So I stood up and I said, I see something in this service I have never seen before. It is so wonderful and outstanding. I want to praise you for it. And I just built it up so high and all of them were beginning to get a little restless and wondering what is this outstanding thing. I said, I look and I see all of our pastors here and each one of them has brought his wife. Would the wife please stand and come up here and stand by your husband? And the showing of affection is just something that's just not done publicly. But uh, some of those men kind of reached around, put their hand on their wife's shoulder and uh, did it so bashfully and everything. And the place just erupted in laughter and leg slapping and it was such a merry meeting. And from that time, the men, the men started taking their wives with them. And the women began to take a more prominent place in the worship of the church. Today, the women meet in the church and go out on evangelistic teams among the housewives. housewives. Today, they have ladies' services in some of the churches where they meet and where they pray. And so it cannot be, you see, exactly as it is here. It did not fit. And so I withdrew from it. I didn't press it. I didn't say, you asked for it. You're going to have it. We're going to do it my way. You wanted it. I just let it rest. But they took it from there and they clothed it with something that was suitable for them. And I thank God that today we have some young girls who are beginning to take a place in the work there. And some of them are preaching and teaching Sunday school classes. And uh, I think the situation will be better for our young men who need Christian wives in the future. So uh, here is a, a, a case where uh, something, it failed, but it succeeded. It failed from our point, but it succeeded from theirs. Uh, another thing that we had a very severe problem with was with our youth. They wanted to have a Pentecostal conquerors department. So the young people who they go, to, they, they go to school and they have organizations within the school and little clubs and so forth. So the youth was organized. It brought so much confusion that we finally had to absolutely disband it because youth leaders began to be pastors and set aside the authority of the appointed pastor. I can't go into all the details of it. But here was a department that really became a division. And a youth work was not good for us there as a separate cooperative district sectional youth functions. It was very detrimental to the work and divisive. So we had to draw back from that.
Now I want us to move on to a little bit of something else. I forgot what time we started. Was it 9.20? Somebody tell me, when, when do we stop on, according to the schedule? 10.30? All right. I want to consider now the relation of the missionary and the national church with government and business. Now again, I'm only talking about uh, how it was in, in Liberia. The national members, they will go and do for you what you cannot do. And in turn, you will go and do for them what they cannot do. When it comes to actually reaching the lost, they will reach their own people better than you will reach them. But when it came to doing business, our national people there, almost helpless. There is so much distrust and uh, so much corruption and uh, tribalism and regionalism and all of these things that build walls of suspicion that uh, it's very difficult for our national people to conduct business. And uh, the affairs of the, of the church with the government divisions like the Ministry of Revenue for duty-free privileges, uh, banking, and uh, renting a post office box, uh, registering with the Ministry of Education, this is required for our missionary work there. Uh, the Liberian can go into these offices and nobody will do one thing for them. They will only say, bring your missionary. We want to see your missionary. And so there is a lot of little detail work that you would think you could delegate to somebody else, but you would find out that they are powerless to function among their own. So they need a missionary and they derive their authority and their prestige from the presence of the missionary. Whenever we opened a new work, you could send a pastor into an area, you could send uh, papers and documents that would introduce him to the officials and the chiefs and the elders and so forth, but they would say, uh, bring your missionary, we want to see your missionary. The reason a lot of people had gone into some of these remote areas, and uh, they would say, we are from such and such a mission, and uh, you raise money and we will build you a school, we will build you a clinic, we will build you a hospital. And poor people, they would believe that. And uh, sacrifice, sell rice, make farm, raise money and give it to these Galloags and they never build anything for them, just take the money and use it. So this made them distrustful among their own. So when you send a national worker, it was necessary that eventually I would have to go there. And sometimes those trips were hard and long. I remember one trip where uh, it was an airstrip, an hour out of the city of Monrovia, a dirt airstrip, uh, airstrip, and uh, got down and then walked in wet sand for nine hours through the jungle to reach this village. Why? Because I could preach there better than they could know. Because I understood them no. It is simply because we had sent a pastor who was not well known and it was necessary that I go there one time and show my white face and say, yes, I'm behind this man. We sent him here. He is a good man. 
when this is done, they accept it. They know he is not there to deceive them or to, uh, to, to, to cheat them, but uh, he has the prestige that he needs because they know that somebody is behind him. This will be uh, especially in, in our field. This is one of the functions of the minister, uh, of the missionary, like John said. I will decrease, he will increase. So we increase that our national man who understands and can reach the people better than we can behind the pulpit will, will be increased and be lifted up. Many times I went to the headquarters church in the city of Monrovia after I appointed a young man to be assistant pastor. It would have been custom, it would have been the natural thing that when I was there that I should preach. Many Sunday mornings, I preached no sermon. I preached no sermon for the whole day. Why were you there? I went there and I led the service. And then I turned the service over to the Liberian man. You know what I was saying? I was saying, this man is big here. And if I can sit there and I can listen to him, then this lifts him up and, and makes for prestige. See? You see, there are so many little things that if you will look for opportunities and let the Lord enlighten you to what you need to do. And many times, Sunday morning, I would visit a church, I would say, I only want to come and hear you. And I would go, I would say a few marks, uh, remarks and to elevate the pastor because naturally among their own people, they do not elevate, the, it's their natural instinct to pull their own people down. I'm talking about the African tribal people. Show your missionary. One time in one of the villages way up in the interior, a place called Pondesu. This is nine hours from the city of, uh, from the town of Fasima. Fasima is an hour uh, from the city of Monrovia. Only a dirt airstrip uh, to take you into Fasima mission. We got to, to uh, Fasima, spent the night, and then started walking early the next morning. Walked nine hours up and down uh, mountains, waded through swamps. Sometimes the trail actually disappeared and if it hadn't been for the Liberians who were with me, I would not have known where to take the next step. And uh, what had happened, one of our young people from Fasima Mission had gone to this place called Kondasu. And uh, he's the only Christian witness there. The people are Muslim and animist again. No other Protestant or missions are working among these uh, remote people. He uh, began to build a church and some of the young people began to turn from the old ways, the society and the devil bush. They wanted to be Christians. One uh, night while the Christian young people were on their knees praying, the society came in there, the devil, and I don't mean Lucifer, I mean that one with the mask and the costume, uh, came in and took our young people outside and they beat them. They told the townspeople that they would, uh, uh, they would uh, harm them if they would feed them or anything. And so they told our young pastor that they were going to kill him on the trail. God worked a miracle. One of the men that was in this gang saw Brother Nathan's pistol. Of course, Nathan didn't have a pistol, but the man saw it. And he passed the word around. The reason Nathan wasn't afraid is because he had a pistol. Well, it was just a miracle from God. But uh, next time Nathan went back to service, he rang the church bell and called the people. And uh, a great deal of persecution against our people there. One of the young men uh, spread to other villages. 
One young man, they put him in stocks and chained him up in the center of the uh, city, would give him nothing to eat, spit on him and everything. So when I heard about this, we have protection. We have uh, freedom of religion in Liberia. So some of the national board members and I walked back to Kwandasu, unannounced. And you imagine the effect in this village where probably not over two or three white men ever in history had been there. When one bright morning while the people are on their way to the farm, here comes this young pastor about 20 years old and behind him three national board members, one of them a captain in the Liberian army and behind them the white man comes walking into the village. We came to talk, what's going on here? Oh, we were having some, uh, we had court. I couldn't understand what was going on, but I just sat there and pretended I did because I trusted those national workers. <laughs> you see, it wasn't necessary for me to be there because I had anything to say, but it was necessary that I be there to lend prestige and authority to those men who would not have been taken seriously if I had not been there. So we had court in the town hall, the Plava Kitchen. And uh, they called the old Zoba, the, the Juju man. Why, why, did you, why did you beat our young people? He said, well, uh, Nathan preached against medicine. This is charms. And one of the pastors said, what kind of medicine? Did he preach against good medicine? The old Zoba Juju man, he said, no, he didn't preach against good medicine. He preached against bad medicine. Well, do you have bad medicine or do you have good medicine? Well, the man knows he has bad medicine, but he's not going to admit he has bad medicine. He said, oh, no, not good medicine. Said, then why are you offended? <laughs> why you beat our young man? The old man sat down ashamed. And then they said, we were having a society and it was not permitted to pray. Now one thing every Muslim will do, he will pray five times every day. So I sat there grave with that tortured look of concern on my face and our national board member stands up and says, you having Muslims in this town? I see the mosque over here. Yes, we have Muslims. Which Muslim did not pray on that day? And no Muslim will ever admit he missed one prayer out of five, let alone didn't pray for all day. But you see, my, my function there was purely ceremonial. And here I like to play piano, and I like to sing, and I like to play organ, and I like to preach. But I figure if you can use 10% of what you're able to do and get more done with that 10%, it's a good investment. So many times the missionary, uh, his presence lends prestige and lifts the people. And this will be one of the most important thing that you can do in a setting like West Africa. I can't speak of the rest of the world. Another thing that you will uh, meet up with is tribalism and regionalism. A strong, strong factor. In all my time in Liberia, never one time did we have one pastor who fell into sin. Not one time did we ever discipline one pastor for, for, for falling into sin. 
I think this is commendable that God has given some good men who really love the Lord. But we had a gospel worker, a young man, who, who fell into sin. So we had our board meeting. The secretary is there taking minutes, and I'm asking questions, and the others are asking questions. And, and we go through all of the procedure to see that everything is done just right. And uh, we lay down the terms of discipline. If the young man will accept it, then, of course, we will restore him to the church. Everything is done so-so. After the uh, board meeting, everything is just done, you know, just so properly. That young boy was a belly boy. Now, that's the tribe. Nothing to do with this, but the uh, belly boy. And uh, one of the men on the board who was Gola by tribe, he came up to me and said, Brother Blake, said, don't be concerned about this. This is the way those belly boys will do, they'll do it every time. I mean, his failing wasn't the weakness of the flesh and it wasn't the temptation of the devil. It was just because he belonged to the wrong tribe. That's the way they can do. And uh, another little problem will come up here and there. And uh, you deal it without any reference to uh, uh, tribalism. And then somebody will slip up and say, uh, Geesey man, Brother Willie Johnson, he said, Brother Blake, that's the way those Gola people are. One, one time in about a week's time, a man who was the head of the crew people, he came up and he said, you know, Brother Blake, said, Pa, he called me, you know, Pa, he said, some of, those, some of the people, they're jealous because, because you like the crew people best. I said, I do love the crew people. But within the same week, another man came up and he said, Some of those people, they noticed, you like our geesey people best. Well, I wasn't trying to pretend to like anybody better than the other. You will naturally perhaps like some people better than other because there is a difference. But the fact that you are neutral and above all of this will help to hold a unity and a cooperation. It has nothing to do sometimes with people not being qualified. You're not there because you are more qualified than they, but you are there because you are neutral to this kind of tribalism and regionalism that naturally is going to be divisive. And so you are there and you, you treat everybody kindly and lovingly. Now you might say, oh, I, I, I thought the people there, when they got the Holy Ghost, they loved the Lord so much that there was uh, no more tribalism or anything like that. That's quite an order. The apostles never arrived at it. And the UPC just a few years ago used to have a little section at the end of the ministerial list, colored ministers. You know, sometimes the Holy Ghost brings an instant understanding of the Godhead, but it doesn't bring an instant understanding of the human heart. And so this is one of the besetting sins that must be, be dealt with, and just brace yourself, you're going to meet it, and it will be there. Uh, another thing I want you to consider is this. Nationals can discipline their own 
far more sternly than you would ever dare to. Or than, than you should dare to. After all, you're always a guest in another country. You're a guest in another man's house. Isn't it true? But the nationals, they can discipline their own. They understand their own people. I marveled many times at the sternness and the discipline of the Liberian pastors. Why, if the things were done here that I have seen them do, there would be a church split. A lot of zeal, he said, Preach it, brother! My pastor said, Oh, who asked you? <laughs> those ten churches, hot days, all those little children, they will sit there in, a, in a, a line. Somebody gets a little restless and turns this way. Here comes the pastor's wife with a rattan about this long or one of the deacons. Hop! He straightens up. I've seen him begin to nod off. Hop! Right on the head. Stand up. And little kids just stand there. <laughs> trying to wake up. Well, naturally, you don't want to go around beating other people's kids. <laughs> Leave that to them and let, th let them get in trouble. They can handle it. Yeah. And you won't get deported. <laughs> What I'm saying is the nationals, when they derive their authority and their trust from you, they are able to discipline their own people far more severely than you can. And uh, it is accepted. They understand that they have this right. All right, I want us to come uh, to the matter of attitudes that are needed one thing I want us to understand is we need to learn to appreciate small efforts. Uh, nationals will derive their respect and prestige that they need from you. I made it my custom that whenever any minister came to my house, uh, whatever I was doing, I would let him come in and uh, if I went to his house, he would give me a soft drink. So when he came to my house, I would give him a soft drink, offer a cup of coffee, and treat him with the same respect I would if one of you came. Uh, for my part, I don't believe in this business of meeting him at the back door and keeping them small like a little go-come boy. But I feel like those ministers are ordained in the same United Pentecostal Church in which I am ordained. And uh, if I do not have time to love them and to respect them, and to slow down and let my dinner get a little bit cold sometimes, within reason, of course, uh, then why am I there? Why am I there? Why should I travel a year, uproot my family, and then by impatience because of five minutes miss an opportunity to communicate the gospel or to help somebody with the burden or to solve a problem or get a church started? Why should I do that? Another thing is equipment. Notice their efforts. Uh, when I went to Liberia, I took some very nice lanterns, 
battery fluorescent style lanterns. And they were a big blessing at, at times. Now I'm not saying something should not be used, but we were starting a new church and trying to teach the people to be self-sufficient and self-reliant from the start, to give. I went into this church and it was so dim and dark in there but the people had set candles. Uh, they must have had 20 candles burning inside this little place where we're having church. And I looked in there and I saw a candle here on the pulpit, candle here, candle on the back of the benches, candles on the altar, and it was still so dim and dark you couldn't hardly see your Bible. And I started toward the trunk of my car to get my American-made lantern out with that bright light, and I felt checked. Lantern, uh, candles? at 75 cents a box and a day's wages a dollar and those folks have lit a day's wages of candles to welcome me to show a love for their church try to do something and I'm going in there with my lantern with its bright American light and set that up and and then somebody goes around and they begin to snuff out their candles what have I said what have I said? I have said my ways are so much better than yours. So instead I pretended I did not bring my lantern. If they knew I had one, I didn't take it in. I just left it in the back of the car. And I went in there and thanked the people who had given the money to purchase those candles so the place would be so brightly lit. So many little things. If you will be observant, and careful and slow your American headlong rush you know attitudes are more important than equipment feelings are more important than bright lights to commend the right thing is so is so valuable and so I'm saying develop appreciation for efforts look for something to praise and to thank start right now we are so quick to complain but we are so slow to appreciate and uh, this is an attitude that we can develop literacy does not necessarily uh, mean wisdom you will look at people there and you will perhaps be repelled by their appearance that does not seem to you to be uh, uh, at all what you would think to be in a leader but don't underestimate what they can do among their own people. Another attitude I think you can develop is learn to be alone without being lonely. Learn to be alone without being lonely. Can you? Do you always have to have noise in your ear? Do you always have to have crowds? Do you always have to be socializing? Learn to be alone, you and the Lord, without being lonely. Because let me tell you, on the mission field, many times you are surrounded by people. I've seen the time when I walked in and my feet were sore and I was the only white man who'd ever been in this village and they got a pan of hot water and I started to soak my feet with my trouser legs up and, and the shutter kept opening as old women looked in there to see that white man they'd never seen a white man before and the kids wanted to come in and touch my skin and pull my hair 
One of the Liberian boys said one time when they saw me, they said, Brother Blake, his hair's so curly, I don't know how a barber can ever cut his hair. That's from an African. But you will be surrounded by crowds, and believe me, it is very polite to stare. It's quite all right. If you're interested, stare. Polite to stare. But learn how to be alone and not be lonely. Just you and the Lord, pretty good company sometimes. Learn to pray while you wait. Americans, they race up to the red light and then floorboard it to get to the next red light. Slow down, they wouldn't even have to stop. It would be green by the time they get there. I've seen the time I stood in line 45 minutes to cash a check at the same bank where the UPC has been doing business since the bank. Just to cash a check. What do you do while you're waiting? You pray. And you're doing just as much work for the Lord while you're waiting, hopefully patiently. I can't say always example, but you can always try. You can do just, that's just as much a part of the Lord's work as preaching, singing, or anything else. And sometimes attitude preaches louder than any kinds of words can. Uh, I want to inject another bit of uh, something. You know, when you begin to, to put confidence and trust in the other uh, nationals, you've got to be careful not to go too fast. Because one day I caught on to something. It wasn't said, but it was just inferred just something that I caught on to. You see, today you are, let's say you are the missionary, you are the assistant missionary. If without proper preparation, the attitude of the national, you let them know that when you go home, he is going to be the superintendent. And if you're not careful, he'll think he's going to live in your house and drive your car and have your furlough and come to conference in America. That's right because he'll think your standard of living is what the UPC pays for their superintendent. And then how are you going to say, well, look, you, you, I, uh, 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 this, this goes with me because I am an American. And uh, this is not coming to you when I put it. So there must be a gradual, a gradual, lifting of them so that they uh, and uh, a gradually de- a gradual decreasing of yourself so that the the wrong thing will not be inferred by them uh, let me say this that many times especially in a an area like uh, Liberia some of the highest caliber people will be more easily converted than the very, very humble people because they will look to you as an educated person and the fact that they are themselves trying to be educated, that they, they respect that, 
and so naturally they will be drawn to you. You will find some of the finest and the high caliber people will be the ones who will be in your place of leadership. We have some of our ministers in Liberia that have passed up good high paying jobs. They could be working with government and other things but instead they are ministers of the United Pentecostal Church living in mud towns, sometimes in mud houses, where they could be living in the city of Monrovia and driven with a chauffeur and have a lot of good things, but because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Wonderful people. You love them as brothers and sisters in Christ. All right, there's more that could be said. Anybody want to talk about something else? Yes. At female missionaries. Uh, now, uh, I can only speak from Liberia. This is not true of all West African countries. But Liberia is, is a little different than some of the other African countries in that uh, a woman there, she's just free to do anything she's big enough to do. The, way back in the interior, you know, among the Muslims and animists, you find some women that are, are just uh, property. But really, among the educated people, there have been occasions, even in Liberia, in the, in the, uh, where they have elected women for paramount chief. And uh, ministry is open to the women. Uh, And uh, it's, it's not the problem there that it is. This depends on field to field. And I think we ought to respect uh, custom and culture. I believe this is part of the teachings of St. Paul. Sometimes we look at the rules and we forget the spirit behind the rule, and that is you do not offend when people do not understand your purpose. You know, sometimes people learn all of the rules by rote, but they don't learn the spirit of it. I'm sitting back there, and it was brought to mind last night, I looked over and carved carved on one of the desks in Gateway College is the scripture, obey them that have the rule over you. 